Thank you so much for joining me on Teach Me How to Money. Today, we have a great guest. We have Douglas Bonaparte. He's the president of Bonafide Wealth and the co-author of The Millennial Money Fix. Yeah. Hey. Hey. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks so much for coming in. Monday morning. <laughs> Did you say Monday morning or money morning? Uh, I said Monday morning. Well, I like the idea uh, of money be, morning. It should be everyone's money morning. Let's hope so. Yeah. That would be nice. It's probably not. It might not be. <laughs> um, okay, really quick, uh, who are you and how did you become um, a financial advisor? Yeah, so I'm Douglas Bonaparte. Hi. Hey. And I grew up in the family of a financial advisor. My father is a certified financial planner and has been for almost 30 years. So I've been around it since I was a kid. And I worked for him for many years. Didn't work out. But I got, yeah. Family and finance is a whole other podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are lots of stories there. But, you know, 15 years later, I stuck with it and created my own practice that focuses on your high-achieving millennials in New York City. For me, it's older millennials. I'm 33, so 30 to 40-year-old, hardworking, young professionals in New York City and the surrounding area who, you know, they have not a lot of time, but certainly a lot of questions when it comes to their financial lives. So let's get started. First of all, what exactly is a financial advisor? Right, right. And there's a lot of titles out there now for financial experts, planners, advisors, wealth managers, registered investment advisors. I'm confused. Explain it to me. I'm confused, right? So (laughs) you can go, you know, there's tons of great content out there. I think this article has been written a thousand times over at this point, how to hire the right financial advisor. And you've You know, you read things like, make sure they're a CFP, I would argue yes. Make sure they're a fiduciary, I would argue yes. But if you're asking what they do, you want someone that's going to provide you with context, a roadmap, a blueprint to your financial life. Someone that's going to help you make informed decisions when it comes to how we're going to get closer to achieving our financial goals. And of course, that actually goes into a discipline of topics sure. that, that we're going to um, you know, create some observations and recommendations for you. So we have key areas that we follow in financial planning, and we have a defined process, but it's really about giving you context so you make informed decisions. Here, I'll ask you a question. Okay. Um, if I said to drive us to Albuquerque, New Mexico right now without – the use of your phone or a map of any kind, would you be able to get us there? I would drive you into the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. So that's that's the answer I'm looking for. It'd be (laughs) very hard to get there. And even if you did, you said, okay, I I know I need to go west and I need to go south, but this is going to take a lot of wrong turns, a lot of extra gas, a lot of extra tolls, and I might not actually even get there. Sure. So how can you plan a trip let alone plan your financial life, like big things that are actually important to you because you only get to do this once, without a map. And that's what financial planning is. So you said a word that I think is really important. I just want to make sure that our, our listeners know. What is a fiduciary? Fiduciary is someone that puts your interests above all else. So if you apply it to the field of personal finance, someone who's not motivated by the products that they sell or how it is they make their money, their primary goal is helping you achieve your financial goals. And why is that so important for people when they're looking for someone to help them with their money? Because you don't want someone who's providing you advice that only really serves them first, that you know lines their pocket. It's not objective. And if we can't provide our clients objective advice, then what are we providing them? So having a fiduciary or working with an advisor 
who is a fiduciary, it's the standard. It's a, it's a standard as far as I'm concerned. So if I'm looking for a financial advisor, someone to help me out, should I feel weird asking them if they're a fiduciary? Or is that a really important question and a standard question? It's an important question. Um, you know, and are you going in there knowing what that is and you're asking them to define it? You can go, by the way, I think that's awesome. It's like, what is a, you know, play dumb and ask what a fiduciary is and see what answer they give you. Yeah, or if they are, like, like are you, do you have my best interest in heart over your, your platform or the products you're selling? I mean, you should definitely ask that question. Yeah. I think it's great, you know, take a look at their reaction. Um, <laughs> but it's a great question to ask. They should have some good answers for you. And uh, there should be no shame in asking any amount of questions to someone you'd potentially hire to manage your money or help you make financial decisions. So here's a question. So I'm just a regular person. I'm not rich. I'm just trying to get my act together and maybe possibly sort of think about planning for retirement, but maybe just mostly getting my act together. Um, Do I have to be rich to have a financial advisor? Not at all. Not at all. I have so many colleagues with so many ways to engage from hourly models to monthly subscriptions. It has virtually nothing to do with wealth at its very core. Okay. At its very core is making sure that, you know, you're making those smart decisions, that someone understands your financial life completely. So there has to be value there before you would pay someone. I'll level with you though. I personally feel that there's a great deal of financial inf- personal financial information that you can learn on your own for free. I think before you go, and in my practice, the first question I ask a lot of people or ask myself is, is this person ready for financial planning? Meaning, are they ready to pay? Can I even offer them enough value to justify That's great. what it is they're about to pay me? And if the answer is no, and, and I'm going to generalize here, typically your younger millennial falls into this category, especially around here, from like 22 up to 26 or 7, sure. there, there's just not enough meat on that bone from a, you know, can I offer them value perspective. So, you know, my, my take on that is let's give them free content and make sure they have the fundamentals down, like actually knowing what their goals are, a system for goals, um, making sure that they're mastering their cash flow, like having control of money coming in and out of your life. That takes discipline and time. So we're not going to fix that overnight necessarily. And then we need to be honest and prioritize what our goals are. So if we can do all of these things, um, we're going to put ourselves in a great position to be working with an advisor And I think that happens at a time when your free time goes down and your responsibilities go up. There's an inflection point there. Sure. Right? So then it becomes worth your time to outsource a lot of this stuff. So say, um, you know, I'm in my early 30s. Um, I'm, I'm doing a little bit better than I was in my, in my yeah. 20s. I'm, I have a little bit of money put away, not like a ton, but I have like an emergency savings account. I have, you know, I'm just starting to think about some goals. I'm starting yeah. to think about thinking about It's things. coming together. Life, life's catching up, right? It's starting to. I'm starting to feel like I'm ready to make the next step. Um, what can a financial advisor help me with? So organization is going to be the first thing. You know, a lot of times when I get a new client and we deliver the financial plan, this actual written document of all these observations and recommendations from cash flow all the way through estate planning, tax planning, retirement planning, investment planning, and protection planning. I just had to get that all out there. Those are the areas that we, <laughs> that we cover. A lot of times they're seeing these aspects of their lives all together in one place for the first time. That's empowering. So I think just getting that you know, high level picture empowers them to then be able to go talk about the more detailed subjects to go deeper. 
Okay, now that we know the lay of the land in your financial life and which way you're going, let's talk about that retirement portfolio or how much we need to be saving each month for retirement so we actually get there. How do you feel about risk in your life? What happens if you lose your job or you become sick or someone dies? Absolutely. Let's talk about that because then we can find ways in which uh, to help you deal with those risks. So that organization, you know, everything's born out of that. So do uh, so you're a financial advisor. Do you need a financial advisor? Do you find that sometimes it's hard to manage your own finances? Oh, what a great question. Uh, I thought about it the other day. I was with some colleagues, and I was shocked when one of my colleagues said to the other, oh, and, and you know, he's my financial advisor. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on here? Sure, like, I get it. Yeah, like, you, yeah, lawyers have lawyers. Therapists have therapists. Sure. Financial advisors have financial advisors. I thought about it. I'm perhaps a mixture of too proud, and <laughs> I don't think I need it. Like, Heather, my wife, is – she's not a financial advisor, but she's, she's obviously part and parcel of everything that I do. She's the ultimate check and balance in my life. So maybe Heather's my financial advisor. That's great. Because she's more conservative than I am. Well, sometimes you always think of the doctor that still smokes or <laughs> someone who can yeah. do for others but struggles with themselves. You know, I think a lot of people can relate to giving great advice but not necessarily being able to listen to the advice they give themselves. I think – well – I, I, from, definitely from a tax perspective, I lean heavy on my accountant. You know, there, sure. there, are, there are things in, in the tax planning area that I, I know very well, but when it comes to the heavy lifting or some real detailed work, especially around the business, I'm going to lean on him. And same goes for lawyers. So. so I'm thinking about hiring a financial advisor. What are some fees or rates I should expect? Right. So what's so great about what's happening in financial planning right now is we're moving away very quickly, and that's relative. You know, these things don't, you know, big changes don't move fast, don't happen fast, but this is the fastest we've ever seen it. So we're getting away from a transactional model. These are the brokers, you know, kind of when you view financial advisors in that bad light, you know, they're very transactional. You're thinking stock market and stuff like that. But right now there's this movement of, hey, we can give quality advice to uh, a wide, a much wider array of people by creating different comp models. And you have to look at what's uh, affordable for you. Sure. And, you know, there is a big subjective component here. You know, how I bill myself out for my services and my expertise is going to be different, you know, based on where I am, who I'm working with, and my experience. Sure. So I think for a lot of younger people, the, and I hate to say this because I don't do it and I have some feelings around it, the, monthly retainer model, you know, maybe an upfront fee and a monthly retainer model is, is going to be what works for you. Okay. I do flat fee in the front. You know, I want you to work with me for a whole year and try that out, get a written financial plan. So there's a number of ways to go about it. You know, as far as total costs go, it, it, it's a range. It's a range. It's a range. So what could, if someone is, you know, someone makes $70,000 a year, which is a, a nice salary, a most, a very yeah. nice salary in most parts of this country. Um, what, how much of their income should they be spending on on a financial advisor? You know, what, what's, cause, yeah. what's is out, outrageous? Because people will pay, people have no idea what things a percent? cost. You know, if you're, if you're spending $700 in that person's situation yeah. to, to have a CFP work with you and deliver a financial plan in a year, I mean, that's a steal. Sure, uh, you're going to use it over the course of your life, ideally. I mean, I remember starting out not too long ago charging $750 for a financial plan. Sure. You know, that's gone up, but, you know, that wasn't all that long ago. 
And if you're a 27-year-old who wants to work with a 28-year-old financial advisor because they're relatable and they understand what you're going towards, you might find a price that works for you. So I don't want anyone to feel like they can't afford this if they really want to. Sure. And you can hybrid this too. You know, do your own learning along with maybe some by-the-hour consults with some great people, with some great advisors out there. So I once spoke to a woman who told me that she was very afraid to go to a financial advisor because she was convinced they were going to sell her on all their products and they have to use their platform and everything was going to be very non-transparent. Why do you think some financial advisors have crummy reputations? It's a function of where they've come from. Sure. And I mentioned a second ago, and I don't know, we'll have all the time we want to get into well, something. Well, you have to come I, back. I would love to. Like, I get very passionate about the history of the profession. You know, now it's a profession before it was basically stockbrokers selling you, you know, issues, stocks and stuff like that. And, and it goes without saying, I think, you know, those days are long gone. You know, no one's, call, you know, no one's calling you up saying, hey, I, I think you should buy this hot stock. I guess it's just not happening. We lead with financial planning. And there's this stigma that's now surrounding a lot. Okay, let's break it down real quick. Most advisors are 55 to 65-year-old men. Okay. Okay. And if they've been around the block 25 to 30 years, they grew up in the heyday of what I just described, selling stocks. More than likely, their roots are the broker mentality and being brokers. And when most advisors out there come from this, it, it's hard. It's hard for a 25 to 30 or 35-year-old to, you know, feel like that person's relating to them. Sure. Okay. And you hear all the horror stories as well. You know, here we are on the 10th anniversary of the collapse of Lehman and the Great Recession. Those wounds, you know, certainly from millennials' perspectives, there's certainly a lot of writing that's going on right now. You know, it still hurts. Yeah. It still hurts. You think of Madoff, you think of these decisions made, you know, and you kind of go to those feelings and that idea of financial professionals. So it's still there. But luckily, Luckily, there are plenty. There's a movement right now, um, whether you know it's young advisors who want to put planning first, or you know the knowledge seekers of the fire movement. Sure. Yeah, you can you can go about this a number of ways that are ultimately rooted in financial empowerment and education. Because we read all about these athletes like Kevin Garnett, you know, who just they trust them, their money to, to somebody, yeah. and all the money disappears. And that's for someone to work so hard for so many years and have so much talent, and to lose it like that is so heartbreaking. And I know that you know a lot of sports, you know, the NBA and the NFL, they're trying to encourage more financial literacy, you yeah. know, because it's it's such a, a tragedy. But why? I guess they're just trusting their money to somebody who says, just trust me. Yeah, it happens a lot if it, come, you know, if it comes by uh, way of a referral. Like your, your buddy, you know, uses them as well. And, oh, well, what could go wrong? And, they, and a lot of times they both get burned, you sure. know, like especially on the bigger, more scandalous stuff. But a lot of that's true. So it could just be like, hey, go work with this person. A lot of it is really not knowing what to look for in this professional. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, what is a fiduciary? You know, what, what is a certified financial planner? You know, are they fee-only, fee-based, or do they take commissions? How, how is this person paid? And what's their reputation? You can look at background checks through the SEC or FINRA to see if there's been any disciplinary action. There was an article a few weeks ago in the New York Times about, a, you know, the daughters found out from the, uh, you know, 84-year-old um, older gentleman, you know, he turned $100,000 worth of commissions out of, uh, you know, $1.2 million account. It's like, how do these people still exist? 
if and, no one's checking. And they're still working at the bank. Oof. So you see these stories right there in your face in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and mainstream media, and it doesn't help the stigma, you know, of this transactional brokerage. Yeah. And, and look, your question was why – do they push their own products or keep everything proprietary is because a lot of the times the non-fiduciaries are working for a financial institution that their responsibility is not to the client, it's to the company's shareholders, right? Yeah. So when you have a conflict of interest that apparent, you should not be totally surprised you're trying to be, you know, pushed a certain product. And lastly, I'd say if any financial professional is coming at this or your financial situation with a product first or a sure. solution first mentality? Well, how can we get you into some insurance? That's the most glaring thing I see here. Or I, you know, oh, a rollover, huh? Well, I have a great product here that will help you manage that money. You know, I only charge 1% a year to do that. It's like, whoa, how did we get into those conversations without doing the planning first? That's great. I think that's really, really helpful. So should a financial advisor ever say, I'm going to make you rich? No. <laughs> no. A, a fi good financial advisor should say, I'm going to help you get to your goals um, as effectively as possible, hopefully within the time in which you want to achieve it. What if a financial advisor says, I know we're just playing, you know, we're playing a game here, but at the same time, if someone says, just leave it to me, I'll take care of it. Okay. So I have a lot of clients who, despite my wanting to educate them, you know, not, you know, not to Warren Buffett status, but just like, I need to get you fundamentals in, you know, investing because I want you to understand what we're going to be doing with your money. Now, we keep it simple. You know, we're, we're largely passive. We're largely, you know, low cost investment shop, disciplined, diversified, coincides with your financial plan. And even though I keep it simple, if you have, if you're completely void of, <laughs> all financial knowledge, including investing, right? I personally feel like, all right, I hope there's not a day where if there's a correction or if there's another recession and portfolios are down 30% because they're 100% equities, and rightfully so, they're young and it's retirement money, I don't ever want to hear like, you never told me about this. Why was I, inve why was I investing in the S&P 500? It's like, uh, you know, it's like the S&P 500. Right. You know, like 30, 40% of your portfolio should probably be there. I can't believe we're having this conversation. Sure. You know, those are the things that I think about. Yeah. You know, and you educate them. But they do say, hey, you, you take care of it. And sometimes you, you just have to take their trust and document and, you know, give it your best shot. And But if someone doesn't, if, but if your financial advisor is like, just leave it to me, you're asking, like, don't worry about it. If that's it. the only thing they're saying, walk out the door. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's crazy town, you know? Right. I, hey, I wish I could, you know, have people, well, if my reputation got to the right. point where it's like, I mean, Again, I'll, but, but yeah. don't worry. I yeah. got it. Yes, I got yeah, it. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, you let, you know, you don't worry about blank. You let me worry about yeah. blank. Yeah. Well, some people find that in a weird way, it can seem very reassuring, you know, like, like he's taking care of it for me because so I can focus on my art, on my work. But that's, that's not a good idea. No, if the client chooses it, fine. Not, not, don't put that upon your client. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like more than likely they want to know what's going on. And I suggest they ask the good questions. Okay. So how do I know, and we've touched on this a little bit, that I have chosen the wrong financial advisor? Yeah. Do you want to know how you know you chose the wrong one? Yes. How do I know that this person? No, we talked about how they're selling their own products. We talked about how yeah, they're that's in there. their solution, their uh, their own solution first. Yeah, how yeah. they won't answer any of your questions. Sure. Um, but what are some, what's another? I if because um, you were talking about how you mm -hmm. feel that your your 
clients can relate to you because yeah, you're one. a similar age. What are, tell me how that can that yeah. could really help you a lot. So I think the opportunity in my profession is for young advisors because there's just this amazing market out there, millennials and Gen Zs coming up the pipe that are going to need uh, these services. But let's talk about relatability for a second. I think that if you are not relating to, and I see this intergeneration, it's a, usually an intergeneration problem, and this is not to indict or point fingers at baby boomers. They're my parents. I love them. They're great. They're wonderful. But if you're a 30-something-year-old, you know, getting your financial, you're just having a kid and, you know, your t- world turns upside down in a good way and you have student loan debt and, you know, wages haven't grown for 40 years, I'm going to make this, like, really crazy simulation and you know you're sitting down with your financial advisor who's 35 years old, you know your senior and they're like oh you know they have no no way to relate to what it's like to have sure. two working spouses commute in and out of the city you know and pick up a child at four o'clock like they're you know with $120,000 in student loan and a mortgage I mean come on that, that's the reality that's all my friends you're about to talk about your financial life your dreams your aspirations there's so much life planning in this um, if you're not getting relatability out of it, I think you're missing out on an, a, a trove of value. I think it's going to be very difficult. So relatability has got to be there. Because it's not a transactionary relationship, it's an actual relationship. And you need that. You need that. And we talked about you know products being pushed on you and stuff like that. But I'd, I'd hang my hat on this, re- this piece of relatability. I think that's great. So tell me what are some of the issues that um, your younger clients, I guess I'd say like 20s, 30s, maybe early 40s, what are some of the things that they're facing that you know older clients are, are not or couldn't relate to? So I mentioned a few of them. Student loan debt pops directly into my mind. And as a household that has quite a bit of it, um, I see it out of, you know, hardworking professionals all over, all over. And non-hardworking professionals, you see $1.5 trillion in a student loan debt portfolio. So that's, that's sucking up a lot of cash flow. Sure. So the ability to save for home, start family, we're delaying our goals, the great things in life. And, you know, that, that's an area where relatability is really going to count. The second thing is really that if things are more expensive. You know, ask grandma and grandpa about a data plan. Like, like they didn't have to pay for one sure. is my point. So there, there's these things that we have in our lives that we basically need. Like, you need your phone. Like, yeah. um, so things have gotten more complex. And, and you could say it's consumerism. You could, you could say, yeah, I think that's definitely true. You know, there was an article about, like, you know, Instagram's the reason we spend more money than we should. It's, it's wild. Not, yeah. I mean, I've bought a piece of clothing off Instagram, I won't lie. <laughs> but be that as it may, we have these pressures on one hand, but we also have realities. Okay? So our economic realities are now not just that we have more debt, but we need to buy more things. And the third is more uh, of a lesson in economics when we look 40 years at wage growth and we see we really haven't gone anywhere. Anywhere. So I, I did a blog post where I looked at, you know, how our, our you know, I looked at the data to see what the average millennial makes and what the average millennial spends their money on. And I poured over this data and I'm like, wow, basically every millennial is in the red. Sure. Like we all live above our means. I'm like, all right, well, let's discount spending by 10, 20, 30 percent. Couldn't, couldn't get there. Wow. Could not get there. And look, you know, it's only as good as the data, but I was like, wow, that sucks. So how can someone like that get their act together? There's a part of this that is, you know, you got to get pumped up about it. Okay. I'll tell you how I get pumped up. I'll try and, I'll try and deliver like a really solid quote. Do it. Help, okay. Pump me up. Sure. So I think that there are very few things in this world 
that you can learn relatively easily that have the power to change your life. And personal finance is one of those things. Okay. Listen to that. Like, change your life that's free and relatively easy to learn. Would you go do that? I, I think so. Yeah, so you Now got that it. you've said it that way. Yeah. <laughs> like, this stuff literally can change your life. It gets me so pumped. I hope it gets other people pumped. I get it. I'm self-aware. Personal finance is not the sexiest thing on the planet. <laughs> I get over it. Like, get over that fact. Okay. And also realize that you got to put in some work here. Like, you've worked on stuff harder than this. I promise you that you have. But you need to develop discipline in your spending and cash flow. You know, this is the budget stuff. This is tracking your expenses, being honest with yourself about, well, what's a comfortable lifestyle? How can I save on top of that? Can I stick to that? What are my goals? And am I going to get excited about them? Like, if you're not excited about your goals and doing great things in life, don't play the game. You know, wing it. Shoot from the hip. See where you get. But I can show you a lot of young clients that do methodical planning, look at the numbers, look at the data, have that conversation, and the likelihood that they get to their goals in the time in which they want is disproportionately higher than those who are just shooting from the hip and winging it. So this is my last question for you, is what personal finance lessons have you learned in your life that have informed the way you think about money? You can't plan for everything. And so much is through our experiences and growing up. You know, being an advisor starting at 19, that's cool to say and all, but what do you know about at the age of 19 through like 27, you know? No, nothing. Nothing at all. It's in the last five years of leaving the city, having, you know, a kid and buying a house and doing all of these things that we're planning for. Like, I've done them now. You know, obviously I have not retired. I have not gone through, you know, my 40s, 50s, and 60s. But when it comes to relating to the people I want to work with, I have those experiences. And you said, told me that you have student loan debt yourself. Absolutely. And, And Heather and I touch on that in the Millennial Money Fix. We wanted to share with individuals how, you know, Having a lot of student loan in our case, multiple six figures in student loan debt, didn't slow us down from achieving great things in life, having kids, buying a house and, you know, growing a business and being a successful professional. But it took methodical planning and it took honesty and conversations around these things that you and I have just talked about. And we're getting it done. All right. And we're not we're not sacrificing, you know, more than we have to, because when you plan right, you know exactly what it is you're giving up and what it is you're keeping in terms of lifestyle and when you're going to get to our goal. So, yeah. So as a financial advisor, just to wrap it up, if I have a bunch of student loan debt, but I have, but I'm looking to get my goals in order, that's something that you could help me with. Absolutely. I think for young advisors working with millennials, you have to be somewhat of an expert in the field of student loan and student <laughs> loan debt, like know the repayment programs. And there's amazing tools out there. Lead your clients and lead people to those things so that they can educate and empower themselves with something that's generally emotional. Like people and their student loans is such an emotional subject. So right back to relatability. Like, work with someone who's going to help you but gets it. I think that's great. It was such a pleasure talking to you. It's I could great to talk be here. to you forever. Uh, tell uh, me so we can tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and uh, where they can find you. Best place to find me is on Twitter. It's at Doug Bonaparte. You can visit our firm website, bonafidewealth.com, or just Google the name. Something will pop up. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Teach Me How to Money. Send us your questions at Teach me how to money at stashinvest.com, and we'll try to answer them on a future episode. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review on the iTunes Store, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't have stash yet? 
Just go to stashinvest.com slash podcast, and you can get $5 to get you started on your investment journey. Stash, it's your money. Simplified. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from Stash to the listener. Neither Stash nor any of its officers, directors, or employees makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of these statements or any of the information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Stash, and Stash is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of advice by Stash to the listener, nor to constitute such a person a client of Stash.